Hey, Internet, he is risen. You're paid for. That makes you immortal now. He's not going to be long anyway. Welcome to the Mad Christian Saturday Morning Chill. We are having some, you might have noticed in the last couple of weeks, changes of scenery around the home. Um, and if it makes any difference in the sound quality, I think we're doing okay. I didn't get to test this space. We were going to broadcast from the garage this morning. Nix it on the Echo It, or that, that's not Pig Latin at all, but it kind of almost sounded like it. And we didn't do it in the garage. We're here. We're here with your questions. Bible's answers, my nonsense, a really bad shadow on my face, <laughs> a plain white background, um, but you can hear me. So, you know, the podcast is available. You can find it by searching for A Brief History of Power on iTunes until we get those two split into new channels, which someday, someday, all these things may take place unless our Lord tarries. And this is why things don't take place. Oh, if I stand here, I'm not in the shadow. You just have to look at me sideways. I'll stare at the wall. And then it's like you're watching me on a movie, talk to somebody in a conversation. That's kind of neat. I can't see it, but you can't. What was I even saying? Goodness gracious. All right. <sighs> Left turn. I want to set an agenda today. Let's, let's go with this. I want to set an agenda today. If you watch this show, by and large, it's because you're discontent with the way the planet's going. Yeah? Like you're like, this planet is not safe. This planet is filled with liars whose consciences are seared. This planet is ready to harm people and it looks like we're getting closer to big levels of it right but we don't know where or when or how maybe it'll just be china and india and pakistan right and we all watch with a nuclear winner from the other side or maybe there's a massive caravan of immigrants that's going to take over north america I don't think that one is as likely as the former, but the thing, the reason I bring up the distinction there, right? And then jump to say immigration and the wall conversation from years ago. Was it, was it, the cages are still there. Um, jump into that conversation because you watch the show. Cause you know, it's, you know, it's off, you know, it's off, you know, it's not looking good. And if you're in any way, uh, apocalyptic in your thinking. That is, if you in any way believe it's possible that someone might smell the mark of the beast before the last day, well, then you're certainly having a hard time right now. <laughs> now, I actually don't think that's possible. So that makes me sit in a really weird spot where I'm like, dude, it totally could be the end of the world right now. But I don't think it is, in part because it's so obvious that it could be, and it's really just about our perspective. I don't think everyone on the planet is like, it's the end of the world. I think people in other countries are more concerned with their countries than with the things we're all worried about, okay? so But it is certainly the end of our civilization, which is typological end of the world, yada, yada, yada. Okay, so you watch this show because you feel like we're in a typological end of the world. Right? You with me so far? Okay. So you feel like, oh my goodness, the world's not going to be the way I thought it was, and maybe it's ending, but I, I don't think Jesus is coming back just yet, or I won't be able to tell. It's like it already does. I can't wait. Maybe it will be, but then what do I do now? Right? How do I live now? Because everyone else is still shopping at the mall and watching sports and cable. And I'm like, I understand why those things are interesting. I've spent much of my life being interested in such things. So, so don't hear me. Uh, dare I say, talking down. <laughs> uh, uh, it's, it's more that, I mean, once the matrix is pulled out of your head, uh, it's difficult to go back. Now, you can try. The movie has the guy who tries. Okay, that's fine. But I, I, don't, I don't care about the metaphor. The analogy will break down. The point is, once you kind of step out of the zeitgeist as much as many of you have, right? That's why you're here listening is you just can't go back. You can't go back and be like, well, I'll just drink the Kool-Aid again. No problem. Hey, where's the Kool-Aid? Let me sign up. You know, you just can't do it. And so then what happens when the places you go for teaching about 
Bible and truth are drinking Kool-Aid. And you're like, they're all drinking the Kool-Aid. What do I do? What do I do? Right? Okay. So calm down. The Kool-Aid's not as bad as you think it is, although it is, it is, but like people can be talked to. Had a great feedback this week from someone who is very disconcerted about a particular issue in the modern world that impacted his congregation. And based on the advice in this show, he talked to his pastor. And the pastor's like, I didn't even know that. Thanks for telling me. I mean, imagine, imagine that happening, right? In this, in this day and age, it's, you could have a conversation with your pastor about truth and it would actually turn out that he wants to know the truth. Okay, so, so the point is, we, <laughs> you watch the show because you live at a time when you're realizing a lot of people don't want to know the truth. Yeah? They, they really don't. They really like the lie. They're very happy with their long nose as long as they get to like ignore the donkey tails. Yeah, I went there, okay? So, so I think... This is a sign, again, of not a collapsing universe, although there is one and it's typological, not a collapsing world, although there is one and it's typological of that too, but of a collapsing uh, mindset that managed to dominate most of Western civilization by reasonable, obvious truthfulness of the thing for a very long time. And Christianity kind of lived right beside this thing, even harnessed it for its own purposes, and at times was harnessed by it for its own purposes. What is this thing ye olde Rev Fisk speaketh of? It is Platonism. Platonism. It is not when you play with Plato in kindergarten, though it's a funny kind of thing when you're three, isn't it now? But Plato, the Greek man whose mind basically runs everybody's mind except for those that are trying to tear it down right now, right? So there's those, okay? And then you have, so you have, you have three levels. You have those who want to be Platonists because they understand it works. You have those that are on the dregs of Platonism being torn down around them and they don't see it. And you have those that are being like intentionally trying to destroy the Platonic Western, the Western world. It's, it's the Western world. Okay. Whatever that means, it's Plato. It's Plato. All right. So here's the thing. Okay. So what we see is Plato's Republic, the philosophy applied to the shores of these post Rebellion 13 colonies turned, don't know what, turned several other things along the way, and let's just call them the federal regime at the moment, uh, you know, turned into all of these things. That system now is looting and eating itself from the inside by virtue of its inability to tell the truth, which comes about as a result of its intentionally rejecting the ability to tell the truth. I don't know, 40 years ago or so, give or take, Scopes Monkey Trial kind of thing, right? Uh, they decided that God, the unmoved mover in Plato's world, doesn't need to exist for a reason to exist. And what you see is a very unreasonable reality after that. <laughs> nothing makes sense anymore. And yet you have groups trying to make it make sense. That's what's called religion. Okay. They get their religions together to make sense of the chaos. And like my chaos is controlled better by this one than this one. So my religion is better than yours. And sometimes your religion is called target. And sometimes your religion is called Hinduism. Actually, Hinduism allows for you to have a religion called target and a bunch of other ones at the same time. These religions fighting for each other for your attention right now over and against what is obviously the collapsing zeitgeist of this, this previous federal regime built upon a republic idea, platonic thought, the good of mankind, the reasonableness of us all working out together. It's getting looted right now. It got really big. It got a lot of power and it got looted. And, it's, and we're watching from the bottom like, man, what? This is crazy. Doesn't It makes sense when you realize there are evil men at the top who don't care are just taking. And when everybody else is worshiping a beast, it all makes sense. 
It all makes sense, okay? And, and that's why you're here, <laughs> is to have me tell you that. Now, I'm going to tell you, though, this is not the beast in the sense of real end times, like, oh my goodness, let's sell our homes and, like, stand on a hill and watch, right? That, that's not what this is. I don't think this is the, this at all. It could be. Jesus could come back any day. That's my eschatology. There are no more signs waiting to be fulfilled for Jesus to return. He comes back whenever he feels like it. He don't even know. Father's going to be like, son, go. He's like, all right, I go. And that, that's it, okay? So until then, things go on as they have from the beginning, which means a slow decay into chaos and all sorts of evil stuff, which was washed by water once, but promises to end in fire. What will they do when the tree is brown? Jesus saith. Okay? So, from where I'm at, it ain't brown yet. And that means that as a Christian redeemed, pastor too, but let's just stick with Christian first. My primary goal, waiting for Jesus to return, is that my children not be beaten, raped, stolen from, or enslaved, and in this, more importantly than this, worship the true God, so that whether they are beaten, raped, stolen from, or enslaved, they know that this veil of tears is passing, and they will rise from the dead. Passing that forward becomes the absolute most important necessity. And then to realize that this big regime slash beast slash media conglomerate, which is fighting with itself over West Coast or East Coast, and who really gets to play with the superpower, while it is trying to just make its own way into Lootville, trampling everything on the bottom. What should you do as a Christian then? Pray. I've been trying to get you to join Sons of Solomon for a while. Get those Psalms going in your life. Read a proverb every day. So that's pretty important. Okay, so once you're praying, what should you do then? What should you do then? You need, we need a target. We need a timeline. We need mile markers. What should you do? 2020 is a black swan. Right? If, if you're not familiar with the black swan idea, the black swan idea is that there are events that cannot be predicted in terms of their changing of reality, but once they have come and gone, they are likely to come again. The only reason they didn't come is because your segment of observation was too small. Your timeline was too short to account for the nearly infinite number of possibilities God's reality has, in fact, built into it by natural law. And so, you know... The kind of thing that happened to us in 2020 could not have been foreseen. Someone's going to say like, I, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm nitpicking against myself here in my own head. Someone's going to be like, well, they could have foreseen that there would be a pandemic. There have been those before. I'm like, yes, I, I, yes, you're right. You're very smart. I'm not talking about like just COVID. <laughs> like I'm talking about how 2020 changed everything. Like nothing's different. The cost of wood is more, right? Like everything's shifting. The, I, not... Federal Reserve inflation issues, that's one tangent, right? But it's all caught up in a, in a year that really put a line in the sand for you as a Christian, which is that are you going to keep dancing merrily into death with all the idiots, I'm sorry, the fools, that's what the Bible calls them, or are you going to wake up and rouse from your slumber, cease to be a, a sleepwalker in this epoch of darkness? A zombie shambling with feet that don't stand firm because they're slippery. They're slippery. You can't get up on them because your mind is trapped. And I'm going to say Plato helps, but he ain't going to get you free. The only thing that gets you free is the fact that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And so, okay, again, believing Jesus has risen from the dead, believing things are looking really bad for Western Civ, believing what a brief history of power, that really great study with Dr. Koontz that I do every week that you can find on iTunes, believing what he has said about how we're in the looting phase of a Western nation, modern first world nation, that's going to basically become a third world nation over the next 15 to 20 years, 
Like we're in that. What do I do now? How do, how do I, how do I engage? How do I act at this place? Okay. So before you would even decide what to do and the shows for that, go listen to brief history power. It's really going to help you out a lot. Don't go do much. Keep doing what you're doing and get better at it. But what you really want to have then is some sort of timeline for judging how COVID, I shouldn't say COVID, how 2020 impacted us as a people and how long we should look at time for, for getting ready for what it means, right? Getting ready for what it means. And let me suggest that generational theory is the way we should go because it's, the, it's, I think, a biblical model. What do I mean by generational theory? I mean that see generations not as 40 years or even worse than that, like seven years and then 15 years and whatever the media wants to tell you this new group is so they can market to you differently. Stop thinking about it that way. Golly, just just dribble that they just pump into us and we believe it and we repeat it. And I've been, I'm guilty of it as day as long. Um, instead, what a generation is, <laughs> is uh, grandparents and parents and children. That is a generation. It's three levels of procreation existing in the same time. Can a fourth generation exist in a blessed lifespan of a first generation? Yes, 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 yes. But when we're talking about generational thinking, as I'm going to promote it to you now, I'm talking about levels of three. Uh, they Levels of three is a thing, by the way, in the universe, just so you know. Um, levels of three. Generational thinking. So think about it this way. Right now, you have immediate needs for you in this generation. That is, if you're like me, I'm just going to be me. Okay. You can, you can apply this to yourself pretty easily. Though, I think I'm in my forties. My kids are about to hit their, their teens, right? And my parents are in their seventies, eighties, the long distance between the two, but you know, uh, senior citizens. So where are we and what are our needs right now? My parents are taken care of in terms of their own provision for themselves. Right? Myself, I've got an income right now, which is sufficient. However, I've got a lot of life left ahead of me. My kids, they also have a lot of life without me, which will come upon them in about, Oh, give or take 30, 40 years, right? Generational thinking. What does it look like when I'm in my parents' bucket, my kids are in my bucket, and uh, uh, they have kids kind of in, in their own bucket like mine is, right? Or like I would have my kids be right now. And then in that regard, make your plans, make your thinking, start your prayers in this direction that you have short, reality-based, I have a life to live right now goals, one to three years. Keep that as your trajectory in general, but also see as like a, a marker for post 2020. That's a really great capstone. Once you get three years post 2020, I think you'll be able to say, I know what normal is, even if normal just means they keep changing it every year, right? So, I mean, if they shut everything down again this, this winter, <laughs> when they shut everything down again this winter, like that, that then you'll get to see that's what the new normal is, is that they keep gaslighting us up and down and up and down every year, right? I don't know if that's what it's going to be. It's what it's been so far, right? Three years is a good marker post-2020. It's also a good amount of time <laughs> to let a, a little nugget in a book called Pendulum swing by. And, and maybe then we'll have a clear sight of what it looks like to build for our kids who are right now in their teens, you know, it, when they're going to be 30 years from now. The trick is we can't really build toward that right now because everything we thought we were building toward has basically just been shown to be a big sales pitch, you know, a big, a big cotton candy stick. And we're like, oh no. And my faith is going with it. Oh no. You know, so, so as we pull back this first three-year process, this first kind of post-2020 triennium, for your own mind, for your own goal setting is where you get to figure out what 2020 meant. Nobody can say what that is yet. No one really can authentically say what that is yet, especially not for their individual life. There's just too many complexities going on. Your God is too big for you to understand what he's doing both against the world and for you at this moment. Okay. So look at it from that perspective too. 
Once those three years are passed, okay, start thinking in that 30-year to 40-year window, okay, where you're going to be letting go of this. Well, for me, I'd be letting go of this life. If you're young, it means you're going to be entering the prime. You got 30 years till your prime of life. Honestly, you think you're smart. (laughs) I'm sorry. I am talking down to you now because you're all kids. The kids, the kids, the eight-year-olds, the 10-year-olds, the 15-year-olds, the 17-year-olds, the 22-year-olds, the 30-year-olds. Y'all think you're smart. You ain't 40 yet. You have no idea. (laughs) And you know what? At 40, here's what I learned. I got no idea. (laughs) At 50, I'm pretty sure I'm be like, yeah, 40, at least I knew that I didn't know. But until you're there, until you're there, you know, it really is, it really is another thing. Okay. So let me say it all this way. I'm going to recap here. Okay. I'm not a prophet. I'm not a prophet. But we need to act with long-term intention, all of us individually and as groups. Mad Christianity, are you listening? Uh, in order to do this, I personally am going to manage my life with the assumption that we have until 2023, that's real counting, calendar, Roman calendar counting, we have until 2023, it's another two years, plus or minus <laughs> 1.3 years, uh, until the next tremor. That is, until we would know whether or not this is normal or there's something else that's going to change. This big, right? So within that three-year gap, um, we would have time to figure out that. And then if, if no other tremor happens, then we have until around 2063, plus or minus 15 years, to build the ark. Oh, no! Do I want to build a boat? No, 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 no. What I want to tell you is that there's a good chance that whatever you're really afraid is going to happen right now, it's going to happen in 40 years. <laughs> so, you know, sustainability. Everyone's talking sustainability, okay? You can't build sustainability overnight. You can't. You won't be able to build it in two years. You're done. We all die. Huh? So if you really are concerned about sustainability, it's a generational project. And it's a 30-year project, right? So t- set your timeline. You don't have to pick my, this is my timeline. You can, you can join mine because I think it makes a lot of sense. But again, I'm not a prophet here. I'm just saying that I'm giving myself until 2023 until I figure out whether or not there's going to be another big tremor that I really have to take into account. Once I pass 2023, then I'm going to decide no more Black Swan. It's over. Black Swan has passed and we have another generation until it changes again. And assuming we're all eating at this point, my plan would be to get to sustainability by 2023 or by 2063, right? By the end of that thing. Um, and that's what I call the ark, right? So for what, what does that mean for me here? I've talked about this before. For Rockford, this means we're going to build a cathedral. We're going to build a library. We're going to build a farmer's co-op. And that co-op is going to eventually turn into a market, that like, like a, a full-on 501c3, that will feed people in the food desert, the south of us, on the other side of the river, the west side, where nobody wants to go, where the forgotten of the world, right? And we're up here in the farmland, just on the edge between city and, and country. So to me, that's the ark, right? That's the ark. It, it literally is a church that will be the boat in which Christianity and the word of Jesus Christ will reign supreme. We will command our man by the word of God rather than worship it. We will establish dynastic ideas by the word of God because that's what the word of God is. And we will leverage all loyalty toward Christ in that space forward toward a future, which is going to be at the very soonest something that we got to peg at 2063, right? Because that's where then what happens next. I mean, it's off our hands. For me, generationally, it's, I've got to, I have to pass the reins by then, right? So that for me, that's how I'm working on it too. So um, it's as good a guess as any, and since I'm guessing with calculated risks, I'm also guessing it's a better guess than most. So that, that's where I'm at on that, right? Uh, no prophecy, but just for your own understanding, I'm planning as if we won't know normal until 2023 and we're maybe in for another tremor. Uh, I don't know what it is, but uh, you know, Klaus, Klaus, uh, sh- I, I don't remember Klaus's last name. He speaks at the World Economic Forum and, and Dr. Kuhn speaks of him well. I, you know, He wants things to go in a three-year cycle to move us toward 2030, right? So we're going to have... Uh, <laughs> uh, Brief history power for that one, guys. Um, so this morning, though, moving from that idea, generational thinking, building the ark. Notice how when I talk about Rockford, I want to talk about not just having a, a working church. I don't want to just have a working community center and club. 
What I want more than anything else is for the gathering around the altar and pulpit at, at, at St. Paul, that corner, which is already a small light on that hill. Uh, the, the gathering around that would not forget, would not forget how we have almost lost the word of God, even though we have more paper copies than, than anyone can blink an eye at. And yet there is complete lack of knowledge of this. And that whatever we do moving forward as a people in the future, it has to reckon with the ultimate power of media to drain your mind entirely. And if you're not going to at least begin in a diet of significant counter narrative on a regular basis, probably not just from your pulpit, then you're swimming with the sharks your whole life long. That's a serious, serious thing to consider. To be among the sleepwalkers, to have the sleepwalkers normalizing sleepwalking until you're like, oh, it kind of looks nice. Maybe I'll join them. That's where we've been as like Christianity. The battle for the Bible in the 70s, wherein we kind of kept the Bible, but like a vast majority of Christianity's organizations just went completely ludicrous beast worshiping, right? And those that stayed behind, we were still clinging to the, the benefits of the modern life and the hope that somehow that we would receive special privileges uh, as opposed to the rest of history, wherein people suffer basically all the time, right? So, so here we are now, and it's not like we have to like have starvation run among us right now, but, but if we don't recognize that there's already a starvation of the word of God going on among us right now, well, then we will have starvation soon enough because the word of God's going to tell you, attend to your flocks. I'm going to say, Proverbs is going to tell you, you got to pay attention to the real life Kuhn said something to me recently. He said, um, you know, uh, your symbols will only take you so far to which my response still is my prayers will take me all the way I need to go. But but my prayers just might get me crucified or starved. I mean, it could in fact be that way. Although he's never left his children of the righteous beg for bread. I mean, I, I cling to that one pretty hard. Could get me crucified, murdered, shamed, all these kinds of things, publicly derided, lose my income, put in jail, all of that, right? So my prayers are open to that, although I, I, I prefer a quiet and peaceful life if I, if I can get one, yeah? Uh, but I want to cling to that is what the scriptures teach me to protect and to serve and to forward. We're going to have a question this morning about, about sin at a certain point. And one of my big concerns with sin, period, is just how we use the word now. We don't use it to begin with because we can't accuse any of it because then they're in trouble. <laughs> so it's become such a shame-filled word that we can't really use it with impunity. Uh, in fact, we have to kind of sugarcoat the, the sinful reality to the level where the real sins, the real sins, idolatry, which is greed, uh, those haven't been called to account in churches. I've been a part of, you know, I've never really seen us deal with the fact that we're all wealthy and spending it on ourselves. I mean, like really that's sin, <laughs> you know? So, uh, yeah, you know, uh, the definition of sin is the problem. The definition of sin is the problem because it's become this, uh, this idea, this ideological category as opposed to a tactile thing. The, the word sin as a single English word works for like eight, eight or 10 different Hebrew words, none of which have religious connotations to begin with. Isn't that something? They're all about actual problems that just arise because if you do this, it really ruins stuff. <laughs> That's the, the type of word, the study of the word, where they come from, right? They're types of civil dispute. All sin is a type of civil dispute. There's no such thing um, aside from original sin, which is different, but in terms of, we're going to talk about you know, behavior patterns. Um, there's no such thing as a sin that isn't a civil dispute, a truly private sin. I mean, with the exception, I suppose, I mean, you're ready for this. St. Paul says that, you know, you can sin against your own body by sleeping with a harlot, you know? So there is that. But again, it's, it's 
Um, that's public too, really, at the end of the day, isn't it now? Um, so the proper distinction between venial and mortal uh, needs to be understood, restored, or discovered. And a venial mortal, not the way the Romans talk about it, but to recognize uh, inner and outer sin is maybe another way to talk about it. Sin of the heart, mouth, and hands. And how, like as Christians, no, you're really not allowed to let the sin of the hands predominate. You're really not. Like we should just kick you out the moment the sin of the hands is predominating. The sin of the mouth you also should not let that predominate, but we want to bear with each other patiently and work toward a group maturity. Anyone who hates that idea and will yell at it, well, that person probably is, uh, that's the version of hand sin then, right? Um, so, so the sins of the mouth are where the battle takes place. The sins of the heart, this is where your private devotion takes place. This is where your inner wrestlings and the angst and the fear of God takes place. So, so don't hear me dismissing this as something that's not relevant, but it is not relevant to the discussion of public sin. It really is. What you're, what's going on in your head is what's going on in your head. And like, there's, there's spiritual discipline for that, but it's not like, is this sin? Is this not sin? I feel guilty. I don't know if I'm a Christian. I had a bad thought. I've had this happen to me in prayer where like, like I pray, I'm praying the Psalms even. And like, I misspeak a word and then I hear what the, what I really said. And what I really said was a bad thing. Like it, it turned the, the line upside down. I'm like, Oh my gosh, should I just like kill myself and send myself to what an insane thought as if it's an incantation, right? As if it's magic. This is the Holy spirit of the living God awakening us by gentle rainfall unto our resurrections to eternity, right? So, so sin, <laughs> uh, when we talk about it, needs to be distinguished first and foremost as something you can see. And now the Bible tells you that even if you can't see it, you must believe that it is there within you. And then Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount certainly shows you how to diagnose that if you would like to. But let's talk about public society here because you can't pastorally manage or shepherd a congregation in which there's no distinction between internal and outer sin. Because everything becomes, therefore, some internal thing. The outer things just get, get, get absolved and pushed away and ignored, lest we confront them and someone who has the internal sin feel just as bad as the person who has the external sin, and then we're all worried about it. Oh, no, oh, no. Matrilineal culture. Goodness gracious. Sin is this, according to James. I'm going to take a little left turn here. Can you see this one? It's probably too dark. Sin is to know good and to not do it. That's James 4:17. to know good and not do it. Now, let me suggest to you, that this is absolutely universally inherently true, and yet modern media has made it a lie. And this is why modern media is such a magical death trap for Christianity. To know good and not do it, you watch commercials for all the good you're supposed to do, give to the children here, help over there, buy this there for everybody else because it'll make life better, and you don't do it, suddenly you're, you're sinning by just existing and hearing messages. And these messages are telling you what you ought to do, and your conscience, I don't have to tell you that, that this is happening, your conscience is like, I feel bad I didn't do this. We got a mailing the other day at the church for a very valuable, valuable thing going on not too far away, actually, probably three hours south of us. And I really like the mission of what this place is doing. The mailing was from Florida, and I, I was at first really upset. because I'm like, why is someone from Florida asking me to give money to their thing when our church body has ways of hand? Anyway, anyway, but yeah, I learned it was actually actually nearby. But still, my decision at the end of the day was we have what we see that we need to do here. We have what we have chosen to do far away. Someone is saying, here is some good. Do it. James says, if I don't, I should feel guilty. But see, James doesn't say that at all. That's the lie of the magical modern story, wherein you believe that everything that comes across electricity carries the same moral and spiritual weight 
that everything that came locally to you and comes locally to you does, when it simply does not. Because this is the fact. If you would set about doing good, turn on the internet, I'm going to do good and be charitable today, you will be... You'll be bankrupt by three, by nine in the morning, right? Uh, you will be tired and worn out from trying to make lists. You will have more people calling your phone for more stuff you never thought you asked for. It will pile on like nobody's business. So again, if we're going to talk about what it means to know good and not do it, it has to be a little bit less about feeding the children far away and a little bit more about who are the children right here? Do we have any? Oh, no, we don't. That's dangerous. <laughs> you know, uh, do we have some that we can help? Right? That kind of thing. Um, and then for you personally, here, I mean, here's another one. Here's another one. You know, I, I hope this isn't too personal. But, um, you know, if we live in a world right now where it is the assumption of most people that if there is an event that is, is big and life-altering, and it's like you're in California and, and the event's in like, South Carolina, but it's connected to you somehow that you will go or you should go. That's kind of the, the way we would say it. You should go. And this is the thing. Cause like a hundred years ago, no one would have thought that like I live in California and I, I got a letter like five months later after it happened, that this thing's going to happen. And I'd be like, Oh, that was really cool that that happened. Or that was really sad that it happened. I will grieve now, right? But like, no one's going to like get on a, a wagon and like travel three weeks to the other side of the country just for this event unless they're not planning to come back. Now we zoom all over the place and we think it's easy. We think it's safe. We think it doesn't hurt us. Uh, let me suggest to you that the inequivalent exchange is real. So whatever you think, you squeeze a, a three-week trip into three hours, let me suggest your body feels that. <laughs> your body feels that. It's like you're taking time, more life than you should have, and you're squishing it in your body, and your body's like, by the time you're done. Yeah. The more that you do, the worse off you are. And I'm not saying you can't ever do it. I'm saying that you don't have to do it. I'm not talking down to you. I'm suggesting you have a freedom to choose. <laughs> right? And I'm suggesting that maybe... Maybe guilt you carry about not being hundreds of miles away this week in your life is one of those modern lies, uh, you know, that, that comes from that commercial. Remember that commercial? Reach out and touch someone. They're all singing over the phone at Thanksgiving. Oh, my goodness. It's, it's American, like, Monopoly is just so good to us, you know? Anyway, anyway, anyway. No truth undermines truth is truth. You know that? No principle undermines principle on principle. Modern monetary policy. Uh, facts do not undermine science, and that's a fact. Oh, so we got your questions and my nonsense again with hopefully some biblical answer. Coming your way here in just a moment. Getting a little warm, so we're going to take a break and get things set up for, well, you know what's coming. All right, all right, all right. Here we go. Again, if you're just tuning in, the lighting and everything is going to be a little less than uh, than ideal for probably a couple weeks here. Um, but uh, we should get that fixed at some point. The sound quality, if you don't listen to the show already, you can definitely get the show as a podcast at the A Brief History of Power channel. There you also get my sermons. You also get A Brief History of Power with Dr. Kuntz, which I would suggest is one of the most valuable things if you are a man over, what, 15, that you can be listening to today. There are certainly other things to add to the diet of information, but to sit at the feet of Dr. Kuntz and let him teach you about historical context with your civilization collapsing around you in the middle, I mean, it's it's 
it's gold. It's absolute gold. And if you want to go further, if you want to go further and get involved in conversation about these kinds of things with willing Christians who are of goodwill, who are seeking to support each other, there's no trading or bartering of goods or any such thing like that. There is rather a network of people who truly exist that would like to remain Christian through these radically latter days. Um, and that is called Us the Chill on Discord or the Mad Christian Discord, whichever you prefer, although you got to search for Us the Chill when you go there. Um, we're working on some new stuff with the Mad Christian Discord, by the way. So those of you living in Citadelia, I hope you lift up your high, heads high and hear the herald sound, the note of judgment. Uh, there's there's good, there's good coming our way. Um, if you want to get in on that again, uh, Discord, if you don't know what it is, it is a Facebook that is not Facebook. It's an app on your iPhone and you open it up and there'll be all sorts of Christians there living in real time having conversations about real things, including comedy, art, firearm management and care, dystopic cosmic horror realities, and and the like. There's a Hebrew study channel. There's a Greek study channel. We get more people and more stuff every day um, and every week. So again, check out the Mad Christian Discord, Us the Chill. It is a living, breathing city. Uh, <laughs> in the madness, in the madness, for sure. Um, so, uh, yeah. I uh, Refresh your power? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and there's a channel for Brief Sister Power there, which you can then even write at Kuntz, and you'll be able to talk to the, val- the vaunted doctor, ask him questions, and uh, and he, he tends to respond. He's pretty good about that. So, d- Dear Father Fisk says, Jules, as a daughter, how can I seek wisdom and guidance from my mother when necessary, but also take ownership of my responsibilities without her help? Now, this is a really well-phrased question. Um, the answer is going to be nuanced because of what you're going to say next about your mother. But let me just say something about it as an open question first, because um, I, I really like the question without the context. Um, because there is a very real need for every child to distinguish from the parent. And that's going to take different forms depending upon your family system, honestly. And that's what psychology tries to study. You know, when you have pagan study stuff, sometimes you get gold, sometimes you get straw. But uh, the reality of family systems, the, the mo- uh, yeah, family systems, uh, the generation is that as you procreate a new genre of yourself, right, uh, that will live in a genreation that extends past you as your existence in the future so far as God is concerned, there needs to be a point at which the mind ceases to be merely under the um, shepherding, uh, really, uh, of the uh, of the parent and becomes uh, identified, ego, you know, on its own. Um, those of you with CPTSD, you know how it's hard to live without that. <laughs> um, but uh, everyone needs that at some point, self-distinction from parent. And, and in a healthy relationship, the parent really wants that too. And there's somewhere in between wherein the child, I mean, you see it with like a two-year-old, right? The two-year-old like wanders off and then wanders back and wanders off and then wanders back. That's really what you want in the parent-child relationship. And you want that child to wander back for the sake of safety and trust, right? Which is where you would then be seeking wisdom. You'd be coming to your mother because you're like, oh, you know what? Life out here is kind of hard. I need a hug. (laughs) Or life out here is kind of hard. I know my mother has lived through things like this and I've seen that. And I want to learn how she handles those things, right? And so you come and you seek seek wisdom, even though you're planning to handle the responsibility. Now, um, what happens if your mother's a fool? 
Right? That's that's your question, really, though, right? And that's not what this question has been on the surface, but that's what is really going on. I think. I think. Now, maybe I'm uh, I'm reading too much into the past and whatnot, but I think it's it's really important to understand that uh, not all parents are worth asking their advice on on all things. It should be obvious, right? But TV, and we're dumb now. So as I went to college, Jules says, last fall, my relationship with my mother changed, which we both expected, but in different ways than either of us anticipated. I do not want to completely push my mother away, but we had a very close relationship when I was in high school. And so I think she especially feels me pulling away more now. How do I maintain a non-shallow relationship with my mother while also not confiding in her as before? I want to still honor her, but I struggle to respect her as time goes on and I realize where all she made poor life choices. Thanks for the advice, Jules. Okay, so that's that's where I'm going at here, okay? So let's let's just kick off honoring the parent. First off, honoring the parent is initially loving the parent. It's mostly what it is. And then it is secondarily telling a good story about the parent to the next generation, if at all possible. And as far as able, you know? Um, and so th- that's that's largely what it's about. Now, there's a point at which wood and stone might do a better job parenting you as a teenager because all you want is to not hear anything anymore. But then that would actually be worse for you and us, right? Th- that would be bad. So even, even parents within fractured or struggling relationships are still part of God's order and part of God's design. And so to honor them is just to believe that. It is not a notch you will be measured by and have to check off on judgment day where it's sort of like you don't really know until you get there whether you've done enough honor to your parents. Don't live in that ridiculous Jewish religion world. Don't live in that, okay? Instead, live in the reality that to honor your father and mother means that you believe God gave them to you and you're going to do good to them before you're going to do good to anybody else insofar as it is possible. In a fallen world, sometimes they'll stop you. And you just can't do anything about it when they stop you. But that's not you dishonoring them. That's them dishonoring themselves. And you, so honor your father and mother does not mean stop them from dishonoring themselves. <laughs> you can't do that. You're the child. The, the relationship doesn't work that way. And so in a fractured, broken, or not really functioning relationship where things are inverted perhaps and the child has taken on the parent role, then the child really does honor the parent by uh, separating, right? Taking on a parent role, saying, no, you got to grow up for yourself now, you know, that kind of thing. Goodness, it's so complex, right? So let's get down to a very specific thing again. I said before that uh, you, everything I was saying about going to your parent for wisdom applies until that parent doesn't have the right to speak on the topic. And then depending on where you are, so again, I'm speaking broadly, Jules, I don't know what your mother's wisdom or folly is, okay? You do. But it is certainly honoring your parent to reject their foolishness and choose God's wisdom instead. And that definitely means not asking them for advice that you already know is going to be bad advice. It definitely means not confiding in them if you know they're going to spread the story everywhere. I mean, I I don't know, again, right? It's, It's broad. But you are not compelled by the fourth commandment to be subject to the 
foolishness of your parents. And that's very important that you just own that as a child of God, that your first father is not your earthly father, but your heavenly father who created you through your earthly father because he loves you and wants to redeem you into eternity, even if your earthly father's a filthy pagan who's going to throw himself into hell because that's what he wants to do. Again, I'm not suggesting that's your father. I'm saying it goes that far. That God redeems the godless, right? God redeems the godless. So wherein does your relationship with this particular parent fall in that spectrum? I don't know. I don't know. But I will say this. Until you have truly distinguished yourself as an identity separate from your parent, all relationship with the parent remains controlling. And it's often dysfunctional. It's often about personal needs. That is, uh, the parent controls for me and the child is being controlled for me. And that's where the problems really start to arise as self-worship destroys itself, right? And so uh, learning to build those boundaries in relationships, learning to be able to say, no, I am not you. <laughs> this should happen at like age two and three. <laughs> but, but then at 17, 18, 19, it, is, it has to be a respected reality that you are respected as an individual human. And if it's not, it's gonna be very difficult to maintain the relationship. Hence the question, how do I do it? <laughs> and with prayer and fasting, I mean, you don't have to fast. It's not like required, it's just part of the phrase. But prayer, I mean, just stop fasting from the word of God. <laughs> stop pra- fasting from the Psalms. Stick in the Psalms and the Proverbs. And then when you have to talk to your mother, know that God will give you the words that you're supposed to have in that moment, right? But then you're not necessarily gonna go to her as a fool. You're gonna go to her as somebody who knows a fool when you hear one and therefore doesn't argue with the fool and doesn't really listen to the fool. But you can feed the fool and you can have lunch with the fool. Although there's, there's rules about that too, right? Not in general, but um, like, like, huh, don't be friends with the fool for no reason. <laughs> You know, uh, bad company ruins good character and all that. But, but uh, you know, uh, you can't escape the fool in the world, work, family, and all that. And so learning to, to um, reason with yourself while the fool goes on, lest you be dragged into his madness. Well, that, that's pretty important. So uh, my prescription, Jules, is Proverbs. <laughs> what am I thinking? And why don't you just go ahead and read Romans once so you don't miss it because some people do. Gully, gully, gully. But uh, Proverbs, I mean, you got to dwell. You got to dwell in that. And the more you believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord in Proverbs <laughs> and that the law is the revelation of the entire Bible and that the wisdom of God is the revelation of the entire Bible, the more Proverbs is going to be like, this is the best Christian book ever. Oh my goodness, is this Christian book is amazing. I was like, this is not a Christian book. It's just a bunch of stories about how to do things. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. Oh, Drew, I don't know if I'm ready for this question. I am, but I'm not. We don't have a good answer is the problem. Is gambling a sin? Remember how I talked about sin earlier? And I said how sin is a really bad word. It's just biblically insufficient. There is a Old Testament categorization of various public offenses, all of which are unholy and unrighteous. There is a New Testament concept of a sinner brought about by intertestamental Judaism and generally being the thing Jesus saves. Like the most of the, the sinning talk in the New Testament uh, is about salvation from it. Does that say, mean that, that John says, therefore go on sinning? No, he says, you know, anyone who goes on sinning on purpose uh, is, is not a, a believer. But again, 
when you start applying that to your like conscience and your heart and your temptations for pity's sakes, if every temptation your carnal flesh throws at you is sin that has a risk of throwing you into hell that moment, you have to live in a complete obsessive compulsive spiritual dilemma. Dear heavens. But when you see that sin in this question is external, okay? It is not a matter of heart. It's not even rather a matter of mouth. It's a matter of the consequences of an act on the culture. That's the issue. Yeah. Is this a destructive behavior or is this a positive behavior? Right? Is this something that encourages? Now, one of the things you always want to do also when asking, is it a sin, is say, does the Bible say it's a sin? And let's just say the Bible has more against loaning money on interest than it does against gambling in terms of clear pre-prohibitions. Prohibitions. Um, so, it's really hard from a Ten Commandments point of view to just say that betting on a guess about the outcome of a set of events with rules as a game is evil. Now, if you're trying to divine the future with mediums and magic, now that would be evil. If you're trying to avoid working because you don't like working with your hands because you're lazy... And so what you want is just to get rich and now you're addicted to the hope of it. Well, that would be a really evil set of circumstances to find yourself in, wouldn't it? That would be one you'd want to extricate yourself from as much as you could. You'd want to be saved from it. Hey, Jesus does. But that means then again, so what's the behavior? Um, If a couple guys get together and play poker in a garage, smoke cigars and bet chips that are actually pennies, is it evil? (sighs) On its surface, not necessarily. Is it good? (sighs) Same answer. Who are they? Did they pray the Psalms today? Are they washed by the blood of Jesus at all? What's their conversation? Is it deriding, derogatory, and sexually crude? Or is it, in fact, encouraging, filled with great stories, jests, and uh, memories of past poker tournaments gone well? You know, I, I, do you see where I'm going with this? To speak where the Bible has not spoken, you want to be real, 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 real careful. So, and gambling. What's gambling? The Bible hasn't really defined this term. So there's a term that's a, a, a vacuous term, given all the more the default of English language as a language recently, where terms just don't mean what they used to mean, and people decide when they want them to and whatnot, right? So, but let, I'm going to say that from your perspective here, this is largely dealing with uh, betting coins in, in a place that's public, right? Taking money into public and then hoping to get more money back as a habit, as a habitus. And at that point, I'm going to say, yes, yeah, sin. That's such a sin. Oh my goodness. You're sinning out of your mind. If you are gambling as a habitus, <laughs> it, it, because here's why. I mean, what do you think you're going to do? Trick God? God's like, okay, go into all the world and like hang out and spend your money hoping to get more. I mean, what is that? What is that? Now, if you get a, a lark from buying one lottery ticket every Friday morning with your cup of coffee from down at 7-Eleven or whatever, I'm not going to say that's a sin. I'm going to say that's, okay, that's cool. I like coffee too. Uh, it's a dollar. I mean, whatever. You're throwing a dollar at what? Uh, do you get a rush out of it? I mean, uh, people get a rush out of surfboarding, right? So so where is this line? It's not that easy until you define what the action is. And that's why I can't just say gambling is a sin across the board. Um, what is the action that's taking place? Uh in one sense, every day is just gambling. I, mean, I, could, I could use the language that way poetically, right? That you walk out your door and you just, you're rolling dice. You don't know what's coming. That's why it's really nice if you're going to be that kind of life risk truth 
acknowledgement gambler, like the, to realize that this is a completely dangerous scenario and we're actually really fragile right now. And all of us, all of us are really fragile right now. How bad this is. You're going to walk out of that world to do that without God. That seems crazy. Do that with sin on purpose. That seems really crazy. Like to flaunt God with public evils. That seems nuts. Is a casino a public evil? Yes. Are you kidding me? You can just look at the results. It's really obvious. So, but that don't, don't use the word gambling. Talk about casinos. Talk about state run, uh, um, what rush addiction, financial lie, uh, bathhouses i don't know i mean it's, they're, they're really quite evil here in in um in illinois it blows my mind that you can you can have like like a closet and you can put a sign outside it you can need a liquor license and a closet and one machine and you will have people go there and sit there and drink and and put money into the machine that's run with a computer which i know they do pay out a certain amount and i know they never pay out more than the house because the house always wins but there's just, it's just one more of those things where it's like, do you see the idolatry yet of the computer? Do you see it? Do you see how we worship this screen and the images they're on? Do you see it? It's really hard to miss when you start looking for it. It's terrifying. Now, I'm not saying, therefore, we are not allowed to use computers. Please don't go there just now. Just recognize that if we're going to say you can make an idol out of everything, at a certain point, you really do. And at that point, you need to repent. And your use of that piece of wood or stone that you thought was a god, that probably needs to change. It doesn't have to stop if it's your hammer, Thor. But you need to think your hammer is what it really is now. And let me suggest to you that what the computers are is a pipeline for demonic thought into your home that you will be unable to prevent from talking to your children. Ouch. I watched it. Right now, it's painful. Like, I did this to myself. <sighs> so, you know, how you handle that is, to me, as important as is gambling a sin. How do you handle your desire to gamble? Do you have a desire to gamble? Why? What What comes of it? Now, if you're like, I really like my buddies, and it's the only place I can smoke cigars, and so we sit out, and it's so nice, and we just play. Like, dude, there's no problem, right? So that's cool. If it's... I am addicted to it. Well, then, yeah, it's a problem. <laughs> you know? So, Drew, I hope this helps. I've given you a lot of different answers. I don't know where you are. And so I'm going to assume here at the end, this may not be you at all. I'm going to assume at the end, like you're at the bottom of the barrel and you're like, like, am I really sending my life away? And the answer is Jesus has saved you. Jesus has risen from the dead and you're immortal now. You're promising your baptism or regeneration that will stand through the fires and flames of this age. And so whatever you're facing in this particular little moment with the addiction to gambling, if that's what you got, Jesus is bigger than that. He's going to change it and it will involve not gambling anymore for you, for sure. Yeah? And it will involve uh, throwing a lot more risk into reading the Psalms as if they are the gamble that you really want to take. Because when you realize, oh man, there's a lot of risk in those Psalms. There really is. When you start putting your faith in what they say, it says about you and how you should just ignore what's going on to walk forward this way. You want to rush people. You want to rush. Believe you're David. Like not reincarnate. And he's a different guy. He's dead. He'll rise. We'll meet him then. He's the king. I'm not. But really, you're in the body of Christ now. Believe it, right? Believe it. That's... That's a gamble we're taking. I'll, I'll say that. I'll say that. All right. Miranda. No? Melinda. Can't read too well. Miranda. Oh, <laughs> uh, Melinda says this. Hey, Riffisk. I am... Hold on, hold on. I need some water. Where are we here? We can do this. Be right back. Be right back. Be right back. Be right back. <laughs>
All right. Hey, Rufisk Melinda says, I am very curious to know what... <laughs> I was prepped on this and I'm still not able to hold a straight face. It's about clowns. So it's good that I'm laughing. Is it not? I'm very curious to know what clowns are considered or not considered in the Bible. I actually do clown around. My mom and I have been in the profession for years. I started at 13 or 14. I thoroughly enjoy the smiles and happiness it brings to many people while respectfully keeping a distance from those who fear clowns. Just curious what your take is. Smile at the little things. Peace be with you. I'm terrified of clowns. That's my take. <laughs> Ronald McDonald comes to mind. Uh, my experience with actual clowns, I think I've seen two or three. I enjoyed the mime when I was like four. Like this was cool, right? Like that was neat when I was little, right? Um, but like, I know I've seen a scary clown. <laughs> and I was little then. I like that guy. I've seen other clowns. And they still scare me. And you know who scares me more than clowns? It's Santa Claus at the mall. And you're putting your kid on that guy's lap. I don't get you. I don't get I me. Mean, he might be a real nice guy. If you all know him, that's fine. But I don't get it. I don't get it. At the mall? I don't get it. So, so like, <laughs> asking me to be honest, uh, I, uh, my parents had some friends who were clowns. And uh, there's kind of a, a story I was told. I did not get to go to the clown wedding. They, they had a wedding and a clown wedding. So the, the real wedding was in a church. They did all that kind of stuff. And then they just did a clown one where like apparently her train was like a model train. I don't even know how they did it, right? And so like they had this whole thing. It was just because of what they did and they loved it. There is a culture there. And for people who enjoy being made to laugh, a good clown, I think your goal is just to be sort of a, a quiet comedian as a sorts, a public entertainment What's really lost more than clowning here, I think, would be the idea that all of us would be glad to entertain the room. That when you get together as a people, you have a skill that you're like, oh, I could share that. You know, I play the piano, do this, do that. And clowning's like, hey, I want to put on a show. You know, here, let me do this little thing. And you don't even necessarily need the makeup, right, to pull elements of that out in a conversation. So, like, that's awesome. And to have clowning be something that exists. Uh, as a relic of a society in which we all were trying to entertain each other because TV wasn't the only thing we were doing. Uh, the computer wasn't the only thing we were doing. We had each other instead. Like that's, that's really cool. And so I just want to encourage that. Even though for my part, again, I'm in that really weird crowd, right? I'm like, and <laughs> how much is this tied to my other traumas? I, what am I supposed to do? Right. Um, so, uh, but biblically there is nothing in the Bible that says thou shalt not clowneth aroundeth, right? Around, aroundeth, aroundeth. Um, I, I don't know that any Levitical codes about face painting, makeup, or tattooing really applies to clowning. Um, the thought about acting is, is an interesting one. So there definitely was a time in history where Christians considered performance as a form of like public falsification of identity to be really not a Christian trade. And the reason for that was combined with the fact that you're kind of lying just by definition. Um, so there's a certain fantasy or non-reality element to your, your vocation. You're not doing anything with your hands. You're not providing things. Right. Um, and so there was, there was a reticence to that, but then it was, it was tied to also uh, the traveling of uh, these groups who tended to be pedophiles, um, thieves. Uh, they were gypsy-like at times. Uh, and so they were, they were the, the lower dregs of society. And so, you know, to, to be with them was to go and to be an adulterer and a liar and a perjurer and all this stuff too. So, okay, well, today, <laughs> going to Hollywood might be kind of the same, you know? 
it really just very close, I think. But but does that mean that therefore, you know, uh, when the children put on a play in the house and they wear their they wear the blankets and they walk around and read Julius Caesar, are they are they in fact idolaters? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say that. It doesn't say you can't act. It doesn't say you can't perform. It doesn't say you can't entertain. Now, based on what I said before, if you're going to say that, based on what I said before, you can't act, then you got to say you can't play violin. Right? I mean, at a certain point, because you can't entertain. Oh, you can only entertain, but not with words. Oh, can you do it with song? Right? You end up, when you get these questions about, can I do this? Can I do that in the Bible? And it's not clearly in the Bible. You get a million variations in which the answer could be yes or no. And you get a bunch of people arguing about it because they don't realize that the Bible just says, you are free in Jesus Christ. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you're concerned about what you should not do, the Ten Commandments are where you really want to go, right? So what in clowning takes Jesus' name in vain, forgets the Sabbath day, dishonors father or mother, murders people, commits adultery, steals, lies. That's where the wiggy would be, right? And then encourages covetousness. I mean, acting is filled with lying and encouragement of covetousness, but can you put on Julius Caesar in the park? Yeah, I mean, I would, I would never tell a member, you're not allowed to be in community theater, even though I might talk to the member about how there's a lot of dangers in community theater. I always leave that bit of trauma sitting there too. Um, so, oh my, what a life. What a life. I hope I never get to tell the story. I really do. Uh, so, uh, Melinda, I think you should clown on, really. Uh, and, and with great confidence that uh, when you make little children laugh, uh, that's awesome. Uh, watch for the one, the child, who really doesn't want to laugh. And let that child be. <laughs> Let that child be. And, you know, their, their end is really about, you know, how are you seeking to be a, a good neighbor? And you like to make people laugh. That's awesome. Like, that's really good. Where does it fit in, in vocational reality? Like I mentioned working with hands before. I mean, you can be a bard. You might not make a living at it, right? I mean, so, but be a bard, you know, be a poet, you know, be an artist, uh, be someone who likes to share your talent. Just don't assume you're going to make a career out of it. That idea, again, is the modern magical nonsense of the casino. You're going to go in, you're going to get lucky and make it big while everyone else, you know, works as, as restauranteurs and whatnot. So, um, yeah, I think, I think, I think that's kind of cool. Even though, again, I'm not, I'm not capable <laughs> of emotionally feeling that clowns are cool. Can I think of a clown I've liked? Let me try. I mean, it it was a scary idea. I never even had to see the movie. I never even had to see the movie. Just the box at the VHS store. And, oh my goodness, VHS store. Armchair video. Portland, Oregon. Um, where have I seen a good clown? You know, the guy who's the clown in Watchmen, he's a really bad person, but I thought his armor was kind of cool. There's, there's a clowning feature to... Uh, What's his name? King Koopa? Bowser. Bowser in Super Mario World, I believe, is flying in a clown thing. And that was really cool as it came through at the screen. It did not scare me. I was like, that's some of the awesomest, like, digital, what, 16-bit graphics I ever saw. And uh, uh, so, but none of this really encourages you, does it? No. <laughs> um, I think you need to be confident that clowning is not, not restricted in the Bible, provided you are, again, aware of your neighbor and their needs. And that's, you know, it sounds like you already know that since you've, you've stated it. Um, I would imagine that the clowns that I did not enjoy were completely unaware of the fact that, that some kids just have hard times. <laughs> and they were, uh, they were trying to make me laugh, right? And um, can't make a person laugh. Thanks for the question, Melinda. Do do stick around, yeah. Uh, Forrest uh, says this: Has your experience, <laughs> speak of the devil, with CPTSD 
and recent reading caused you to reevaluate anything in your parenting philosophy and how you train and discipline your children? Um, not much. My own controlling of my emotions would be the only factor. Or, and controlling is really the wrong word at all. My own labeling of my emotions as a freedom exercise to be able to understand why um, certain patterns of emotion are just not true that are habitual lies that I have assumed into my identity and that they don't belong anywhere near my children. Um, and the, in the sense of like, so like my child says something to me and I get hurt by it. Right. And so what happens if it's a flashback hurt, it's not always that, but if it's a flashback, if I get thrown back into an emotional state of being two or four without knowing it, and I'm looking at the child, it's, it's like the child stabbed me in the heart. It's like, as I, you know, I want to cry and die. I've got this overwhelming urge. Right. But what, Learning that as a diagnosis has allowed me to do is be like, oh, look, this is like emotion that's totally over the top for the moment. So I can, as an adult now, control my body and say to my child, um, well, that's all right. Or, you know, please don't talk to me that way and we'll deal with it later. You know, I, I, can, I can begin striving to be the parent I am, I think, in head and in heart all the time, even in those moments when um, my emotions don't line up with the, the, the agenda. <laughs> Uh, and again, learning this is, it really is Alice in Wonderland times 50. It is such a bizarre human experience. I have cast myself into understanding it, um, because I, uh, whether, you know, there was a comment on the channel on discord recently about Peter Walker's, uh, distrustworthiness as a theologian, um, as a communo Hindu psychobabalist. And, um, yeah, I mean, at a certain point, there there's that too. That that's a real danger in all of this. Is that you know the discovery of flashbacks um, as something that can be trained into humans. Uh, Christians should care about this a lot, and we shouldn't you know just assume that one guy working against a psychobabble tradition that he's actually quite against because it's collapsing like the rest of the looted system. And so his clinical work and the clinicians who are doing work are really where the, the work on CPTSD is being done, not in those white towers that in one point exist because they, they were the original groundbreakers on this kind of stuff. Um, uh, it's, it's very much an underground thing. It's very unclear that it's even rightly labeled because I don't think it's rightly labeled. I'll say that right here, right? So um, as I've continued to, to ponder what uh, Peter Walker's book says, uh, CPTSD from, uh, surviving to thriving and being incredibly thankful for it as a toolbox, but also reading it like I'm reading a pagan. And so I discard things I think are wrong. Like I just don't even pay attention. I'm like, Oh, that's a dumb idea. I found a lot of really good stuff in there though. So I, I, I mean, I don't, you know, I'd, I'd love to talk specifics at some point if someone's really that worried about it, but rather than argue with the pagan, I want to found a good understanding of my Christianity that, that, reckons with my carnal flesh's behavior, which in my life means there are times when my amygdala gets hijacked by an emotional past that shuts off my ability to emotionally remember things. It's, it's very disorienting when it happens. Um, it's very uh, uh, presenting, if I can say it that way. Everything's right now. <laughs> Everything's right now. Uh, there's not a lot of perspective on time because, again, the emotions that are there are undeveloped or arrested emotions that should have developed from one to three and, and didn't function well. And so we're suppressed instead in the face of trauma. And then we're traumatized again over and over again. Um, 
So uh, I'll give you the new name for CPTSD in a second. But I, I want to say then uh, with, with the kids too, I mean, look, before 2020, I wasn't home. <laughs> I wasn't home. Uh, my my experience of CPTSD was that I was in busyholic flight mode, constantly, actively trying to do more. Have you noticed? <laughs> uh, trying to do more so that I wouldn't have to feel the pain that I was repressing by doing more because the pain was this, again, immature, arrested emotion of fear and shame and anger that I'd never been given the freedom or the parenting to learn how to process, to learn how to process. Um, now, while I was away from my family, I was doing things like this or teaching in public. So they, their experience of me up to 2020 was largely my public life. Um, I would come home and when I would come home, I would drink two to three beers, sometimes four, depending on if we're going, if I'm home at three and we're hanging out and barbecuing and watching a movie till 12, yeah, I'm having four beers and I would sip those things all night long. And it wasn't until that habit stopped, not because I was particularly ashamed of it, but more because I was going carnivore and I really wanted to get my pre-diabetes taken care of and it worked like a charm. Unfortunately, we had this little ghost that apparently just, you know, just a touch of alcohol just kept that thing down below the surface. You wonder why people drink. Well, it's often to hide from pain. Uh, always? Often. Hard to say from where I'm sitting. So um, what happened then, you know, was that the trauma that I could have passed on to my kids, because I have a, a great wife who's not traumatized in this way, um, just I don't think has been in our world. And it's largely been hidden until 2020, piled it to the surface in a lot of different ways. And so mostly what's been happening to change my parenting is we're like, look what's happening. And then we're like, this is what it is. And we're like, let's talk through it. And, oh, I'm sitting and staring at a wall again. <laughs> And, you know, and it's, it, it, that's, that's the difference. So I, I've been very forthright with the kids. I mean, as soon as we knew about it, I, I did my best to, to talk to my wife about it and bring that eggshell, uh, into, into completion. And we're still working with that. And outside counseling is not going to be off the table. It's very much on the table, you know, all things in their order and time. But, um, so the biggest change, right. With, with my kids is just simply, I'm aware of my emotions about my kids. Golly, is that a great thing? I didn't even know. And I don't, I don't know how to explain it to you. Like, how could you not know? You just, unless you're in this, it's like I'm an alien. Think of me like an emotional alien. Um, I, I got 40 years of catching up to do. And it's not that the emotions weren't there and it's not all emotions, but it is certain ones. And it has a lot to do with human interaction and human trust. Can you imagine being afraid of your children? You probably can't. Hello, welcome to my life. It's weird. It's weird. Now that I know it and I can call it a pattern of behaviors that I was trained into, and I know there's a prognosis for untraining yourself from those patterns, and it begins with realizing, oh my gosh, they're the most amazing little people ever. Ah, you know, that growth, oh, it's been glorious. It's been glorious. So my children have very much been a part of my antidote. Um, And I think as we walk through it together, including me continuing to remain in the role of disciplinarian and father, right? And coming to terms with their pain, not having to always be my pain, which is a, is a challenge. Um, I think that's just going to get better and better, but I should interview one of my kids at some point about this, but I think they're kind of tired of it. Uh, they want me to get through it. They want me to come to terms with it. They, they want it to stop and I don't blame them at all. So do I, but that's also 
part of this life. It's like your, your sin's not going to stop, right? Your, your internal carnal flesh is not going to stop. And in this regard, what I've got to do is more just learn the control vector than expect to have um, my spirit just instantly change, right? It, it is about self-control. CPTSD is about learning self-control. It requires modeling of self-control by parents to learn self-control. And if no one ever really gave you that emotional self-control, ownership, all that, then it's, it's going to take some time to learn it, but you can learn it. You can learn it. So why do I want to call it instead of CPTSD? Complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, I would rather call it post-traumatic stress flashback complex. P-T-S-F-C. Post-traumatic stress flashback complex. Now, I, I don't, I'm not trying to change the diagnostic at this point at all. I just don't think that calling it PTSD is particularly helpful. It creates confusion uh, as I, I've seen in multiple places because PTSD has a variety of types and sorts. I also don't like the word disorder, although it may be correct technically, but frankly, at this point, experts, you're kind of done. It's time for those of us who are suffering to go ahead and take ownership of our own issues and not let you tell us with books about how little boys should be little girls, what we should do anymore. So disorder, frankly, is a shaming word. And given that CPTSD is largely about being raised in a shaming family, that that's, that's a lot of what it has to do with, um, then calling it a disorder is frankly quite unfair. What it is is a complex. It's a maze. It's an incredible maze. There's no disorder to it, really. It's quite orderly. It just doesn't match everybody else's order. It's caused by post-traumatic stress and it's experienced as flashbacks. So post-traumatic stress, it's caused by traumatic stress. So it comes after traumatic stress. So post-traumatic stress flashback complex, that's what I'm working on in my own head for wrestling with this. And as I talk about it to you right now, I think that makes just a whole lot more sense. So, you know, what I have happening is that because of traumatic stress in childhood, Post that reality, I have emotional flashbacks that complicate the reality of my brain chemistry and that it is possible to work through it, but that it is not native or natural as it is for all people who don't have this. (laughs) And so it makes me weird and I'm okay with this now because weird, I mean, nerds are in, right? Right, right, right. So anyway, how's my experience with post-traumatic stress, flashback complex, and my recent reading caused me to reevaluate anything in my parenting philosophy and how you train your children and discipline children. I only do it more. Everything I was doing, now I'm involved more. That That's really what it is. Before it was, I talk about it and my wife impl- uh, implicates it. Implicates it? Implicate. Applies it? Puts it to practice. Um, and uh, now, again, in the home, I was trying to be part of it and it wasn't working so hot. And so now, readdressing this through what we've learned and again, just trying to do it more. If there's something that's changing because of recent reading, it would be the increasing retreat from harnessing um, or uh, tethering, I think they call it sometimes, uh, the pullback from uh, public regular use of uh, broadcasting devices. Uh, uh, we are we are not Luddites, although my wife is, um, but she has a phone too. <laughs> uh, so we want to be though. We're like neo-Luddites. We're like would-be Luddites. We just don't quite know how to get there. And we're not really sure we're going to go all the way to Ludditeville, but where the change in discipline with my children has become is that discipline more and more is let's exist without entertainment from outside of us for a while together. 
and let's see what less of that looks like. Let's exist with, instead of spending money on going and doing this entertaining thing, let's buy some new stuff for you to break <laughs> or play with or to build on, uh, that kind of thing. Let's invest in your future uh, as humans who do not need uh, to be told what to do, but can in fact figure out what to do for yourselves. And all of my reading has been leaning in that direction. And my experience with post-traumatic stress flashback complex has also um, pushed me that way. Because again, I'm learning what I could have used. I'm learning what I need. I'm learning how to parent the way I'd like to be parented. And uh, so that definitely is there, even if at the moment it still just involves father just stepping aside and staring at this. I'll stare at this for a while. This is the one. If, if nothing else works, we go here. You can find this in the uh, uh, Frozen in Motion uh, Discord channel. This one's been up there. This is my version of Peter Walker's 13 points um, that I use when I know I'm in a flashback and I know I have not been able to manage it on my own with something as simple as my regular, my I am able. My I am able is really powerful. I like that one. Um, that can usually get me out of stuff, but if it can't and it's getting rough, I got to go here. Uh, I also spend... 20 minutes. This is a Walker recommendation. I don't think it's false worship. I spend 20 minutes uh, every day that I can, not this morning, just staring at this card and mindlessly walking through these 13 points to uh, elucidate, to bring to fruition a flashback on purpose in a controlled environment where I know I'm safe and I'm working on owning the pain of my abandonment depression, which largely I can tell you at this point, where did I draw it? I drew it somewhere. And I can find it. There it is. You see this one? Bone deep soul pain. It's largely my bones. My bones hurt. It's weird. It's really weird. Um, and I realized I was also ashamed of my bones hurting because like, it's not, it's like, no one's going to believe me. So it's like a lie. I I don't know what a thing. So how's it affected? It's affected everything, but two steps forward, one back gets you forward. It gets you forward. That's where I'm at. So, all right, Andrew, Andrew, where are we at? 1016. I'm going to take another break here before we get to Andrew's question. Uh, because I need some waters, this one's going to be just a touch longer. Stick around. We've got at least 45 minutes coming up here, including this question about Bonhoeffer's letters from prison. Why would you want to miss that? All right, all right. Good morning, Rev, says Andrew. I was reading Bonhoeffer's letters and papers from prison, and in one of the correspondence, there was a mention of a fear that Jesus experienced. I assume this alludes to the scene in the garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus asked that the cup be removed from him, but God's will be done. That's, that's interesting. I, I don't know. That's that where, that's where I would have gone. Um, but it's, it's a fascinating thought. Uh, this made me think back to first John four eighteen about perfect love driving out fear. My understanding of this text is that it is referring to fearing the wrath of God. Since if God resides in you, there is no condemnation. I guess my question is, what are helpful ways for a Christian to deal with fear? Um, Number one, read the Psalms, period. Use the name of Jesus for the Lord, Jesus Christ. It works really, really well. At the very least, realize you are praying to Jesus Christ in whom you have been washed, redeemed, sanctified, justified, enlightened, confirmed, and all things you could imagine for all things are promised. Yes, in Jesus Christ. Reading the Psalms will teach you the fear of Jesus Christ. What is the fear of Jesus Christ? 
That's an interesting question. The fear of the Lord, that is the beginning of knowledge. Again, the fear of Jesus Christ, that is the beginning of knowledge. Is this a fear of him as in I am afraid of him? Or is this a fear of him as in it is the fear that he knows and experiences? It is the first in the Old Testament. It is the fear of him. Although as a man now, and this is really where it's a fun question, as a man, the eternally begotten son of God, who we don't really know what fear played a role in his internal, what do we call this, imminent Trinitarian workings as that these have not been revealed. And if you claim to know, you're a liar, right? When he became a man, he now with a amygdala and everything experiences fear because fear is a normal human emotion. It is unavoidable. It's a healthy thing. It is what happens when your adrenal system recognizes that you are in a physically dangerous situation. If you're traumatized, it'll happen for all sorts of other reasons too. But your 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 amygdala realizes you're in a, a physically dangerous situation, and so you prepare to fight or to flee, or you might fawn, or you might just freeze. And, and actually, if it's a bear, I hear I've seen video. That's what you're supposed to do. Just freeze. Let the bear lick you. Goodbye, bear. Yeah. Uh, so preparing to fight, flee fawn or freeze, usually fight or flee, however, a tiger that you see is not godless. <laughs> it is not sin, right? And neither is it the fear of the Lord, although it is. It is in a sense, because if we can back up to what is the fear of Jesus Christ? The fear of Jesus Christ is to know who Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ, as the author of this world, will not necessarily save you from a tiger if you run into one in the middle of the woods. You can say, dear Jesus, save me, and maybe he will, but there's a good chance that your running will be part of that. Climbing a tree? Now, maybe not. Maybe the tiger's not the issue. Maybe it's your enemy who wants to shoot you. Maybe you're that special person who the prayer is answered to, but this is by exception. <laughs> you know, we live in an empirical reality still so far as our experience of it is concerned, yeah? And these empirical things do not change from place to place, and your fear as a right response to threat physically encouraging you to leave the threat, this is fine humanity. And Jesus incarnated it. How did he manage his fear when the fear attacked him? Yeah. Or attacked, is that always the word? When the fear informed him of the danger. What is fear? Fear is your body telling you, you're in danger. You are in danger. Okay, so, so what do you do with that? It's, it's actually really good. Spidey senses? Like, don't you want these? Fear. Okay? The problem is our idolatry of self leads to worship of self, leads to worship of fear, leads to panic, leads to running without thinking. All the time as groups under the leading of one man who has all this stuff. Wow, that's how mob tactics work, right? So, the human fear that Jesus incarnated and owned perfectly never is sin. And first and foremost, as a man, will have been his true and utter fear of the Almighty God. As the designated reality of faith in that God in a fallen creation. Because you cannot, you cannot come to terms with Cthulhu or the God behind Cthulhu without realizing that you're in great jeopardy of judgment. Not just judgment day. No, no, like really right now. Like how you've lived up to this point, it deserves to be worse. And... That's a fear that a Christian should have. 
We should have the fear that if we build upon straw, the house will fall down because otherwise we'll build upon straw all the time and build bad houses and kill people. So it's really good to fear that and then respond to the fear reasonably with action and wisdom and discipline, not overreacting, but understanding that the danger present needs to be alleviated. And that's what a protector does. So fear, even to hear the Marines say it, is what you run toward when you know what it's really about. Uh, so Jesus incarnated this good fear and then lived it without sin, which has got to be amazing that in his fear, he always feared God first. And then the moment he has the human fear of God that we all deserve for judgment, he also believes he's the savior from it as the son of that father. And so he fears the father in a perfect way that we can't even experience or, or think on. We can only pray for and beg for the filial understanding, the fatherly understanding that nothing that this fear was, was bigger than his also commitment to you. So the fear ultimately of the father is there for his protecting of you. It's good. And when you understand that, then you have nothing to fear from him, right? You fear him that you might not fear from him, if that makes sense. And this is the fear of Jesus Christ, that he did this perfectly his entire life. And now regeneration which I think did come in the Old Testament too in this regard, the imputation of the Holy Spirit to you by divine words makes it so that this fear of Jesus Christ as a confidence in the God who will kill you actually be saving you from it, crucified. Yes, this is my salvation already then. Uh, that, that fear is one you want to aspire to because it drives out the fear that John talks about. What's the fear John's talking about in 1 John 4.18? Manly fear. Fear of men. Fear of shadows, fear of this dying age, fears of, of not getting enough. Everything that we do that is petty, everything we do that is temporal and trying to make it so that we get to be God and control things that only God controls. Those fears are driven out by the fear of God actually being real and on your side. <laughs> yeah. And so, so therein, we have a trouble with this word fear because it can't universally do all the work of the dogma. Um, and I would, in that regard, say we really want to see the difference between, say, the fear of Jesus Christ of the Old Testament and say terror of man or something like that. Tre terrors of men. Uh, and that is what John is saying. So tremors of men, terrors of men, that is what fear of Jesus drives out. But it never removes you from the sonship position, which recognizes that fear is healthy. And when the father walks in the room, I would be in danger. Oh, but I'm his son. But the fear should still be there. And then it becomes, well, bravery, uh, courage, Courage, which is a form of rage, is a very good form of rage. Uh, and I'm not sure all rage is bad. It's just what you do with your rage is the problem. But courage as the, uh, no, again, I saw my father. He is greater than I. I am afraid, but he is my father and I am his son. And there's, there's a rage there that is not evil. It's courage. And uh, there's something there that only happens when you own the fear as, as a healthy thing, right? So, so John saying that perfect love drives up fear does not mean you will never experience fear. It means your fear, which is the spiritual act of worship, will be directed toward the right thing. That you will realize the true thing to fear is being outside of Jesus. And so look to Jesus in fear, lest you cast yourself away. And you'll always see him saying, I got you. I got you every time, right? So that's, that's the religion, man. That's the religion. Um, I hope, I hope that helps. Hope that helps. Hope that helps. Uh, short one. <laughs>
Yeehaw. Mel Bell says this. Hello, Shep Fisk. You're known as Shep in my family. I don't mind that. Shepherd. I, I've, I've pondered how to ask my congregation to call me Shepherd. I don't really want to ask. And I, I don't know that I even want to have it change. But what I've, what I've struggled with is that the word pastor just doesn't really tell anybody anything anymore. And so what is it, right? And I always thought on uh, Firefly that they called the pastor Shepherd, even though he's a heretic, um, and a Zionist eventually, right? Like a, a you know, a, a Rastafarian Zionist. Um, calling him Shepherd made sense. Like they saw him that way, right? So yeah, cool. Thanks. Um, first, you are helping and encouraging many LCMS Christians in our family from Arkansas to Arizona to California. Great. Uh, we know it's not easy for you. I have CPTSD too. PTSFC as I call it, uh, leave it to me to want to change everything. Right. Uh, but, uh, if you, I will, I will acknowledge the diagnosis and then in my head and for your sake, I encourage you consider it a complex. It's just, it just makes it make sense. It is. It's just a complex. It's not a disorder. There's nothing disorderly. It's just as complex. <laughs> and so take the time to walk through it, right? You don't have to fix it. You just walk through it. And that, that's a healthy thing. Let me tell you. Um, so yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks for sharing that you have it too. Um, please know that your work is so valuable to us and we are better Christians for it. I'm glad to hear that. Um, and by better Christian, I really hope you mean that you just know you are, you know, you're a Christian for it, right? Yay. Good. Uh, second, what is going on with the LCMS and all the milk providing pastors? I cannot speak for wide swaths like this. Um, what is going on with the LCMS? It's part of Western civilization that is collapsing uh, institutionally because the language has been used to lie and steal so much that nobody can really tell the truth anymore. And what's going on is in the name of good things, a lot of looting is taking place and media has exacerbated this problem by allowing it so that those who are truly in charge um, can do it uh, with impunity. And by in charge, I don't mean the guy you elect to the top. That person is usually quite powerless to do anything other than just keep collecting a paycheck and, and asking people to be nice. And so like that's, I'm not, I'm not lobbing bombs in one direction here. I'm saying that the system itself has not detethered itself from America the way we thought we did in 1973, and we're going down with the ship. And so what you have is broken lines of information, wherein the pastors in the LCMS are not drinking from the same fountain. They're drinking from a million different fountains, and many of them it's called Fox News, and for many more it's called CNBC or NBC or whatever else they're doing, Disney. And, and so the more you drink, and by Disney, I don't mean Disney World. I mean, they own everything. You know that, right? So like <laughs> uh, what's going on is individually, we're all trying to figure out what's going on while we milk the cow to death. And anyone who says, well, this isn't going to last for long. Everyone goes, I know. That's what's going on. And then you have, again, individual pastors doing their best to be faithful where they are, but what font are they drinking from? I got no control, answer, or understanding of that. I know what I do. And what I did is I turned most of the other sources off and just went to the book. Now, again, um, you can't do that always and forever. Mad Mondays exist for that reason. Do you know that there is, in fact, a sales pitch coming, that you can get a newsletter every week in your inbox that will tell you almost everything valuable that happened that week that you need to know as a Christian? And what, in just like three pages of writing? I mean, it's really, really quite something. Uh, Mad Christian Mondays, you can sign up at revfist.com slash newsletter, and it is the best kept secret on the internet. There's no question. Only elites read us, really, really. Like, if you're reading us, you're an elite mind, and uh, only elites read us. We, we're not going big and broad, uh, believe me. Um, so, uh, that news source that I listen to and get to for, for my news, because I, I trust it at this point, um, 
that's not what everyone else has. There's maybe a few pastors, five, seven that read it in, in my church body. I don't know. Um, but you know, they're all getting it from wherever they're getting it. And so they're just going to do whatever they're going to do. And then with that, whatever they were trained to do before 2020 shifted everything, they're going to do that more. So before 2020, they were like, wow, the church is falling apart. We need to put the brakes on all this change. They're going to be like, yeah, we're standing firm now. And if they were like, the church is dying, we need to change it more. You need to leave that church. <laughs> you need to leave that church. It's done. It's done. They're cutting themselves off the branch. So, you know, there are big churches that are not, don't look like my church in the LCMS where the pastors are preaching the word of God because they know that, that this kind of end times is here right now, right? And so you better be on the word or else, right? So I'm not saying it's about flag waving either. Um, but I am saying that as a whole, please do not expect the LCMS as an institution or its max level of congregations, many of which are not calling or will not be able to call after their aged pastor retires in the next five years. Um, don't expect all of that to be a thing. Whatever it is, it will not be one thing. It will not look like one thing. It will not act like one thing. It will be a bunch of random stuff in the name of a collapsed thing. Does that mean we should jettison the name and the collapse? No, I'm all for, for catching the dregs as they fall. The, the trick is you got to know what you're doing, do it. And, and right now, it doesn't seem like that's what those who are in the variety, and there's so many of these positions. I mean, we're just milking the cow to death. Like I said, all these paid positions, um, you know, there's no one of them that can really do anything. They can prepare their office to be well caught in a box of reality when the office can't be paid for anymore. That's what they can do. And then, so your pastors, wherever they are, I mean, I don't know who you're dealing with, where you are. Okay. You're talking about like in pulpits, perhaps like locally again, um, famine of the word of God is a real thing. Uh, the proximity of goodness and evil is a real thing. So if the word of God was sparse before 2020, it's going to be absent now. And if the word of God was just, what did we call this in seminary? They called it a text for a a text for a pretext. That's it. A text for a pretext. A lot of sermons work this way, right? Where they're like, okay, the Bible says this, and this is like my dog. I'm going to preach about my dog for 20 minutes. My dog's awesome. You should be like my dog. There you go. Text for a pretext, right? So the text exists as like your hook, but not really what you're going to talk about. You never really get into it. And if you listen carefully, even like the like, <laughs> even like the really intentionally hardworking guys who write the three-page sermon and then read it and, and do this thing the whole time, there's a lot of text for pretext going on. And that has to be repented of. I'm pretty convinced 2020 is like, uh, for Christians, it's about are you preaching the Bible or not? Here's your chance. And if you stop, when we do the next thing, I talked about what, 2063 or 2023 as our, like our next little speed bump and, and long-term thing, whatever that means, whenever it comes, whenever the next thing comes, like if you haven't repented now, you're getting chopped off. And this is, this is the, I'm not a fan of premillennial eschatology with the rapture and all this, right? Where there's like the, the Christians get taken away and then the Jews get a chance to convert and then a bunch of them convert. Like, I think that's nonsense. But like, typologically, I can see where you came up with that, given that that's sort of how God punishing the peoples, bringing about repentance and forgiveness throughout his people's history, Old Testament and new, uh, works, right? It does work that way. So again, what is going on? What is going on? A famine of the word of God, uh, a rise in men who serve their bellies as hirelings, and many good people trapped in between, including pastors who just need you to go talk to them. I said this already today. We had a question recently from someone, how could this be at my church? It's really going to be a thing. And oh my goodness. I said, go talk to the guy. He might not even know 
He did. He didn't know. Look at that. It was helpful. I don't at the time. Right. So so the broad brushing is very dangerous, especially when there are many LCMS Lutherans out there that would like to be biblical Christians 10 years from now. And we're concerned about it. We're like, we got to do something about this. Okay. Well, just lambasting everybody doesn't do anything about it. We have to get a banner that we trust, right? Sons of Solomon. (laughs) Nine Psalms we can pray together and reading the Proverbs and the belief that it'll make us better people. Right? If you want to jump on board the small catechism with me, I say it every morning. And you know, and then the Augsburg Confession is a pretty decent thing too. Uh, that's going toward the LCMS more. But I'm talking widely here for a second that what this is about is about all Christians remembering that if we don't have the Bible, we got nothing. And so if you're not reading it daily, you're kind of deceiving yourself a little bit about the discipline of your Christianity. I'm going to say you're deceiving yourself a lot about the discipline of your Christianity. Um, even though there were times when Christians existed without this book, at this time in history, I mean, I got to believe that the, the publication of this book and its survival of the collapse is what the angels are going to marvel at at the end of this, that we're going to be like, oh yeah, let's let all of it die, but not this. Yeah. And that is a glorious thing to begin thinking about and praying toward. Um, many pastors may still be brought there. So again, don't lambast, although talk about the issue, right? So instead of calling out the name of the group, although it matters if it is officially what they're doing, but if it's just kind of like your anecdotal experience of it, talk about the problem. So what's the deal with milk providing pastors? I can answer that question in a second. They're liars whose consciences are seared. They see godliness as a means of gain. And as a result, they will be held captive, deceiving and being deceived until the day they cast themselves into the fire. That's what is what is going on with milk toast pastor providing, right? Lack of word of God preaching. And so that doesn't matter where you are, what church body you're in. That's what happens. And we're warned against this very, very specifically. So that it would happen should not be a surprise. And that this is my answer to it should not be a surprise either to those who are in the know. Yeah. Um, so is it everywhere or just our district? No, it's, it is everywhere. <laughs> um, some districts are worse than others. Uh, if, if you're talking about like fidelity to the Bible, uh, some are worse than others. Um, uh, and, and some congregations are going to be better or worse than others because they might have a great pastor and yet you go in and you find out he's really in a battle and he can barely make it. Yeah. And so it's, it's more important than the districts is like, what's going on in the pews? What's going on with the families? Is anybody reading the Bible? Anybody? At home? Or is it just TV? Right? Just the internet now. What do we get? Is it just me? Just 15 minutes a week. That's all we get, huh? Like, like, <laughs> see where I'm at? So that's what's going on. Uh, and, and guys are, again, if they're living in that world, wherein they're not actually studying the Bible because they're hungry for the Bible, um, that's, that's not good. That's not good long-term. All right. So, uh, if it wasn't for me, you say, and Pastor Wolfmuller, Chad Bird, and a few others who are actively trying to feed us, we would surely have starved to death by now for lack of anything solid. You know, I just um, met with uh, uh, some new members who are going to be coming in, and the gentleman's a, a real neat guy, uh, and he listens to talk radio all the time, and he said, I used to listen to Christian talk radio years and years ago, and, and it was really valuable to me, but I just, I haven't been about it. I don't really know where to go, and um, our, our previous parish, uh, sadly, just, it was hard to really care about what was being said in the pulpit. It was hard, and I was so excited to be like, okay, have you heard of Chris Roseborough? Have you heard of Chris Roseborough? Like you have a good year of endless listening to him teaching you how little discernment you have and how glad you are to have it happen that it comes to you before you can't take it anymore and you can't listen to the show because you're just so sick of all the false teaching. But like, dude, Pirate Christian Radio, check it out. It's just et cetera. Check it out.
don't. You live in a golden era of personal catechesis. It is not right that the church has failed us on this level, although it is not unexpected either because the visible institution is always hijacked by the evil people for the sake of the property value within it. Meanwhile, Lord, the Lord will use it for good, including turning all of us who are pricked by the tail of a serpent back into the scriptures. And right now, again, even though your local congregation may not be able to provide, may not be able to provide for you faithful preaching, you absolutely live in a plethoristic time. The only limitation is that we do not network well together because we relied in the initial building phase on Google and Facebook and Twitter to network for us. And so now if we don't have our own networks, there's no way to find anything. And certainly if you want to use the LCMS locator, it's not going to give you what you're looking for here. So, um, uh, yeah, uh, you, you live at a time where you got to search, you got to dig, but there's gold to be found. And at the end of the day, however, yeah, it's everywhere and there's less and less churches and you're probably going to have to move at some point. Like you should want that. What, what's your deal? You love the land more than Jesus. Really? I mean, I, I've moved to Illinois in order to die here, preaching the gospel at people who I expect at some point to try to kill me. Uh, and however that works out, I got a lot of possible futures for that. But I'm pretty sure I want to die. I'd rather have the, the peaceful, quiet life, by the way. I'd rather just preach, have the cathedral show up, the library, we're feeding people, and all the collapses in Chicago, and we're extending light from our hill out, outwards, you know, until the day I go in the grave, and it's in someone else's hands for 15 years before that anyway, uh, in terms of preaching. I just get to listen. Like, that, that sounds amazing to me, okay? Um, <laughs> uh, oh, but I was going to turn that. I was going to turn that back. Um having to move. Oh, but this is it. So with all of that, it's like a prayer, a prayer long before it's a plan, uh, a prayer and a hope and a, a wanting to trust that the scriptures are sufficient to see this through and to give what really needs to be given with all of that being there. Oh, I lost it again. <laughs> oh, I'm not above moving. First off, I can get a call out of the blue uh, from someone somewhere saying, come be our preacher somewhere. And it's possible I would go. I'm gonna tell you, I'm probably not gonna go. So don't try. But it's, it is, I mean, if it happened, I would have to take it as a sign from God to consider what it said. I mean, do that with any letter, really, right? So so th there's that. But the one I think is more interesting is like, so what happens if like we get this thing going in Rockford and it is, it is going, uh, but like more um, and if things go well, but then, you know, the evil really gets evil, they shut it down. And like our options are to be like, uh, you know, indentured servitude slaves or move to Africa together. Like all 500 of us. I mean, that's how the LCMS got started, right? Um, let's let's not all swear submission to one bishop on one boat and then let him be alone with the girls, LCMS. But everybody else doesn't even have to worry about that. Like the point is this. Your location matters more when your location is your proximity to the body and blood of Jesus Christ given for you according to their institution under the shepherding guidance of the full scriptures proclaimed to the community as the creedal reality confessed with orthodoxy for the sake of the world we know is ending around us. That's worth moving for. It's worth moving for. You're going to have to at some point. Not you. Us. Us. Somewhere, somehow, some of us. You know, if you're at a place where you can build, start building so they come. Expect it. Build that ark, like I was saying earlier. Uh, so, uh, we are so incredibly sick of the same old recycled childish stuff. Yeah. 
Ridiculous self-imposed COVID rules such as masks, having to make reservations in order to attend Sunday service, no singing aloud, and drive-through communion were the final straw for us. Yeah, so I'm again counsel. Have you talked to the pastor specifically? Because pastors in the LCMS are not equipped to be leaders. We're not we're not trained for it. And then the job is actually one of shaming, um, corner pleasing. You're kind of the local clown, honestly. I don't mean that to deride Melinda from earlier. But you're, you're there to kind of be the bag they kick in a lot of congregations. And so, so like, I like expecting that guy to like somehow be bold enough to stop last year from happening or to make it go away like this. I'll tell you, we're still working on it here and we're not done. And yeah, there's still masks. Okay. So like, why? Because I care more about the people than about an idea. And there is a point at which you have to draw that line and say, if someone is going to hijack the entire congregation for their misbelief, you can't let that happen. But you also want to use a gentle shepherd's hand, don't you know? So, so like, talk to your pastor, right? Talk to who's ever actually doing it. Now, you might find he's a complete jerk about the whole thing, and yet you're fully justified in leaving, and then, and then you should. But then, again, you got to take that a little bit as a sign that you're either going to start a new church where you are and call a pastor, or be one, uh, and, uh, or you're going to move. Because you're not going to live without the Church of Jesus Christ, you're not. Yeah. Now the synod does have a way for you to. Well, no, we don't. <laughs> not if you leave the church that's being a false church. We, we really are kind of uh, backwards in that. So anyway, I, I all I'm saying is like I get the COVID. I get being angry at the COVID, but I, I really think each individual situation, as churches right now, is unique, and has everything to do with the pastor's heart. But maybe all the pastor really needed is someone there to say, "Hey, pastor, this is a good idea too," because <laughs> uh, he can't he can't do it alone. Uh, and most most of us are trained not to. We're trained to submit uh, as a body and um, through shame. It's really it's quite quite profound. Uh, so uh, yeah 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 yeah. So and you yeah. I mean, why would you go at a certain point? You, you can't go right. You've been stopped from going. I had a Roman Catholic here recently. So, they're so funny. I've realized Roman Catholics don't think they're allowed to come to my church. It's really weird. I'm like, no, 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 really. Like, you should come. I don't know if I could. What are you talking about? And, and they don't like their church because their church isn't open. you got to schedule it. So they're mad about this stuff too. So strange. Anyway, ugh. I'm going to finish your letter. We are not members anywhere now and sort of travel around to a few congregations a few times a month in order to receive communion and visit with families we know. I mean, yeah, if that's what you got to do, it's not ideal. It really isn't what you want long-term. It's not vagabondry is, is not, not ideal. Um, anyway, it's just tough being LCMS right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's tough being a Christian right now. I think it's tough being a Christian right now. I don't think Christians all over are having an easy time. I think they're in churches with like, I got to move. And for them, it's easier. They just go shopping. Right. But I, I, I don't think it's that easy for them to find places. Um, and yeah, so it's tough to be a Christian right now. Lutheran. It's always been tough to be a Lutheran. It's, it's a horrible name. <laughs> Uh, great confession, terrible name. Anyway, tough being LCMS. Uh, we can't imagine being anything else, but sure have been let down and are very confused by what we see and hear. I mean, why does being LCMS or anything else matter? Um, don't you want to be in communion fellowship with a faithful pastor who preaches to you the Bible, counsels you according to the scriptures, and then provides for you the medicines which God has said you shall have as sustenance in this life. To me, that's not about Lutheran or LCMS. That's about the Bible. And that's about Christianity. And the more we segregate ourselves as Lutherans as we talk about what is Christianity, um, 
the more we're just going to be in a corner wondering why no one's listening to us or why we don't even exist anymore. And so, I mean, I, I've been, I've been screaming this one for like a decade. I really have. So I, you know, I feel like Cassandra uh, on a number of issues uh, in the church body. And I'm not sure that that's gained me any, uh, any much of a better listen, honestly. Um, But it's, uh, I really would like to think it'll all just be great. And all these churches around here will have Christians in them uh, with pastors 15, 20 years from now, you got a lot of, a lot of those buildings are shuttered or, or retrofitted. Um, and, or the ones that are doing, you know, publicly well are not Christian. Like you walk in and you just, there's not, <laughs> uh, and then you're going to have, uh, these independent places that, uh, that will be surviving. And if they're in a body like the LCMS or the Southern Baptist convention, they're going to be outnumbered and they're going to have to figure out what that means. Now, one interesting thing you just might know in the LCMS Outnumbered as those who don't like what you don't like have been. A lot of the pastors that are doing the other stuff don't like being involved in politics. <laughs> so if you do the math on that and give it 20 years again, you know, I haven't written off our fellowship, but I have written off our brand. Yeah. And, and the sooner we do that, the better. Um, you are going to have to see how long can you take traveling around to these other churches? How far are they? Why don't you just join one of them? At least be under that shepherd. Let him be your shepherd. Let him know your problem. Tell him that you don't like this. Uh, tell him that you're going to come this often for these reasons. Right? Support the church financially. And if you want to visit the other churches too, that's great. But join one of them. I really mean that. Uh, it is It is not good to be alone. Uh, it is not good to be in state of confession against the confession you can get to physically. And since you can get there and you do want to, um, I really encourage it. Um, like you're going anyway, right? So, uh, yeah. So uh, Deren just, just chimes in here at the bottom says, I'm in the same boat. I, again, it's not going to change soon. There's no new pastors just magically showing up at congregations that are prepared to not call them. <laughs> There are new pastors coming up and they are being sent out. There's just, they're, they're nuggets, they're handfuls. They're being sent out often to places that don't want them, you know? And, and so what do you do? You acknowledge the state of affairs in the Valley of Death. You realize that the diaspora is a model of ongoing New Testament existence. And this is generational and epochal. That is, yeah, you can have a good kingdom that runs things with Christianity for a couple hundred years, give or take, with some bad kings or leaders, but a general ideology still managing to keep the faucets running, right? At a certain point, however, the paganism always comes back and it takes the land. And when the land is taken, you have to decide what do you want more, the land or Jesus? The land or Jesus? Now, I'm not saying, again, you have to move. The alternative is to start a church where you are. Look at that. And the alternative is to get yourself ordained in a Lutheran church if you can. I mean, why not? Uh, follow that path. Um, what does that mean? I don't know. Individually, it's going to be very, very difficult. Uh, and uh, frankly, as a father of a family, you don't need to be ordained to open the Bible on Sunday morning, preach to your kids from the Bible, and lead them through a prayer service. What you're not authorized to do is the Lord's Supper. Okay, That's, that's the place where as Lutherans are like, well... That's schismatic. So like, like don't, don't be schismatic, but, but 
to open up and be the priest of the household, that is the father's task. And if there is no other, I mean, what do you think Abraham was doing every weekend? You know, I it, it, do it, be a patriarch. That's all right. But then you're, as a patriarch, you're, you're, you're praying for a preacher or you're realizing you are one and you ought to be authorized so you can get more people to come, right? So, or you move, or you move, or you move, or you move. Uh, it's hard to move into Illinois right now. Isn't that interesting? I would think everyone would be wanting to get out, but houses won't stay on the market around here. It's just really strange. I don't know. Meanwhile, like I mean, I'm going back to like the chaos stuff, right? Meanwhile, um, price of wood. Wow. Uh, and I'm, I'm hearing rumbles about gas and like so all the industries. You know, so what does this mean for us again? Uh, for this morning, what I'm going to encourage you to do more than anything else is go to church tomorrow and pray for your daily bread. Like, like really mean it. Like Jesus, I have lived as a worshiper of you all these years with the assumption that food's coming because America. May I repent of that assumption before it's something I have to repent of? Let me suggest that as a starting point here, right? So that um, seeing our frailty becomes not something that arises of fear of men in us but something that reminds us of the fear of God that before him, we are indeed frail. And yet he is the one who owns it all cattle on a thousand Hills. You want that lottery ticket? Why not just pray? It's because you don't believe or because you pray wanting to spend it on yourself, your own passions and desires, which means God's God's not going to send you to hell on purpose. He's going to make it easy for you. As bad as it's getting right now, I am fully convinced that the Lord is preparing you where you are in these many places we've been scattered to build the ark for the next generation. That means preparing the next generation to live in a world that to some extent is unimaginable in 1980. And that has to do with what it means to go from first world expectations across the country to first and third world realities intermingled throughout the country. And what that means for you as a Christian, right? And for you as your family, that's going to have a lot of different edges to it. Let me suggest though, that the one that matters most is it will drive you more into an understanding of your Christian community, not as a club, not as a, not as a, a hub house for hanging out or a programmatic place to get the kids to be excited because we just need a few better people, but as the very beating heart of your sojourn through the veil of tears, through, through the valley of shadow, through the decay of this place. And, uh, well, then again, so moving doesn't seem so hard. Standing firm doesn't sound so hard. What's in the way? Our fear of men, as we've talked about, you know, our fear of men. Um, and if you've got CPTSD, I mean, you definitely know what that means. <laughs> if you don't, you can know what that means. Uh, you can you can mindfulness self your down to your fear and see just how many of your decisions generally are made out of the fear of men, especially in this society. Uh, Dr. Kuhn said it on the show the other day. Um, I think this won't be released actually for another two weeks because uh, we, we recorded early a few, but there was a big section on uh, uh, men being unable and unwilling to declare their intention and go in the face of fear. And that it doesn't matter what job you do, what generator you buy, what book you read, that if the men that are the men of your tribe, whatever that means, will not walk forward as men, choosing on their own the identity of protector, shepherd, father, wherever they are, brother, son, 
if they won't embrace that as distinct from the matrilineal chaos of hyperized feministic anti-maleness that's going on out there, then we're done. Then we're done. But this is just it, right? Moses was plucked out of the water. Pharaoh wants to destroy the baby boys. He wants us all plugged into the matrix so that we can't fight back. And that's why you're here, ain't it? I talked about this already. You're here because you're going to fight back. You're here because you're done letting this thing be a one-way street into your brainwashing. You're, done, you're here because you want to learn how to look at this thing and use it, not be used by it. Yeah. And again, I'm going to tell you, it means you got to realize where the real power is. The power is in your Proverbs and your Psalms. But Jesus Christ risen from the dead is the fulfillment of all of it. And that reality will detach you, detether you from the, the madness of the chaos. You won't need the entertainment. You won't want the entertainment. Not as much. You just, you just won't. There'll be too many real things to do. This happens every generation when we embrace, when we reform, when we discover, when we repent. And the Bible talks about it both individually, that all of us have to have this happen daily. All of us have to have this happen as we grow up, all that. You know, you find a way to bring your will into alignment with Jesus. And maybe multiple times in your life, you have to be called to account by God for what you forgot. I mean, it happened to all the great men. Asa and his feet. Just think about it, if you even know, right? So for your sake then, again, trust in him to bring this to completion. Put your hope not in your ability to get through these dark and later times, but in his guarantee that he already has and that you are bound, heart, mind, soul, and body to him. And then walk forward. And when you bang your head on fear and it sends you into whatever kind of flashback you got to deal with, cause all the problems you got to deal with and you find yourself once again, the sinner you've confessed, don't be surprised by it. You already know these things. The real question is, now that you've caught what's happening in your flesh, how soon until you, re, until you reassert your identity as a son of God who cannot be condemned by this reality? That's, you know, if you can't do that, you're not a Christian. But if you can, if you can remember that the blood of Jesus covers you, you can say, golly, that was awful, and I'm done, I'm moving on, right? Whatever that means for you. Um, that's what Christianity is, as a power, daily. That's what the Psalms give you when you pray them. Hey, I don't deserve to pray this. God says you do. So you learn to mean what it means because it says you do. Uh, uh, the Lord is with you in all these things and uh, standing upon the ruins of the world. Yeah, Not wallowing in the muck. That's why we're here together because the muck is gross. The ruins of the world are coming to an ultimate and complete ending and the resurrection of the body and the life of the world to come. That has begun now as an identification of you as an immortal. An immortal in mortal form just waiting for the tent to get turned into a mansion. Why would you wallow in the muck with those who have no hope and not stand with me, lifting up your head all the more as you see the day approaching? I have not talked about Patreon and I have to. Please join me on Patreon, but all the more see the day approaching because that's what matters most today, tomorrow, every day after. The world, the devil, the flesh, they're trying, why am I mentioning Patreon? Fear. They're trying to make you think that he is insufficient, that Christ does not reign. And this is the fact. You can go sit under a tree and trust in Christ and all your problems. They won't go away, but they will be in his hands. And then when you get up from that tree, I mean, I'm saying go sit for three days and see if the world really ends. I mean, it, it won't. It will still be going. When you get up from that tree, 
Buddha, (laughs) you would be, when you get up from realizing that you're not God. And once every day, and remembering this right in the morning, once again, walk in the truth of of how um, he's not going to leave you or forsake you, of how there is no condemnation for you now. Again, it means that every one of these lies, every one of these dangers, every one of these attacks just becomes one more arrow in your armor that can't be pierced, that you can look at, assess, and learn from even what they're doing and where best to fight back or maybe how to help other people armor up as well. Yeah? Uh, clouded in shadow and darkness all morning here on Saturday morning chill. Thank you for tuning in. I did mention Patreon. So Rev Fisk is on Patreon. It's the way that the wheels go around here in this place helps make all of it happen and lets the worker know his wages are his wages are the wages. Let the worker know his work has been worth. That's not the right. It's a quote, but it's not a quote. Any case, please don't let my asking for money get in the way of you going on with this day, not wallowing in the muck with those who have no hope, but lifting up your head all the more as you see the day approaching. I'm back here because there was no sound. That was super weird. No sound? Do you guys get sound on that? What on earth? Super weird. All right, well, I'm not even going to bother running that then. (laughs) Since there's no sound. Hey, y'all, we'll catch you next week. Rock on.